0: Welcome to the Irish Occupational Therapy Podcast, hosted by me, Jen Trecek, and me, Aileen Rutledge. This podcast is dedicated to exploring the world of occupational therapy, sharing the latest research and techniques, and providing insights into the many ways that occupational therapy can help people of all ages live more fulfilling and meaningful lives.
1: Whether you are a practicing occupational therapist, a student of occupational therapy, simply curious about this fascinating field this podcast is for you we'll be interviewing experts in the field sharing stories from the front lines of occupational therapy practice and providing tips and advice for anyone looking to get the most out of their therapy
0: so sit back relax and join us on this exciting journey into the world of occupational therapy in ireland In today's episode we have the pleasure of sitting down with Pawdrick Danaher, the OT coach. Pawdrick originally worked as a health and social care professional before discovering a desire to explore alternative avenues for supporting teenagers in their recovery journeys. This realization led Pawdrick to embark on a transformative journey into the world of occupational therapy.
1: During our conversation, Podrick will share his approach to occupational therapy, which encompasses the powerful combination of positive psychology, coaching, and a trauma-informed lens. Podrick strongly believes that the occupational therapy profession is uniquely positioned to support individuals who have experienced trauma. Through its holistic and client-centered approach, occupational therapy can address the complex interplay between physical, mental and emotional well-being, empowering individuals to reclaim their lives and engage in meaningful occupations.
0: Really excited uh, to have an OT, not just an OT, but an OT coach on the show today. Podrick Danaher is the OT coach. Um, You're very welcome, Podrick, to the Irish Occupational Therapy Podcast.
2: Thanks for having me both of you. Thanks for having me. I'm very grateful to be here
0: so you offer services to a range of different people um, and as the ot coach so just tell us a little bit about your company your business the ot coach what what do you do what do you offer
2: yeah so i work on a one-to-one basis um, much of the work that i do is individual sessions in the community more so than in a clinic setting maybe two three days a week i work within a clinic i do some online services as well um, coaching and occupational therapy And some training for schools and social care settings, such as residential settings and offering information around trauma, sensory systems, how trauma can impact the sensory systems, what that looks like, tips, tricks and strategies to support regulation and connection. So it varies a lot. Recently, I've been doing some positive psychology talks as well. Um, so it it really it's it, it it varies but much of the body of work that I do is working with teenagers and young adults and it's within the community
1: and what location are you in Podrick
2: I'm based in Cork so uh, most of the work with it would be within county of Cork sometimes as far as Limerick and Waterford um, and then when it's online it's all over the country I'm working with uh, clients from like Galway, Dublin, um, Kilkenny. Yeah, from all over, all over.
0: There's so much in just that little description that I got not yeah. want to unpick where to start. Mm-hmm. But so you work individually with people, but you also work with systems and training. Yeah. Why yeah. is that important?
2: I think for me, I love the one-to-one work and that's, I, I, I get such a buzz out of it, as, as well as I do as adult education. But I think to have the bigger impact, it's really important that you're training systems and where you can offer them tips, tricks and strategies, Um, particularly working with schools and social care organisations. When you're working with a team who has an amazing resources available to them, but also an awful lot of contact hours with the young people. So we were very lucky. We might get one hour once a week, once every two weeks while they're with them some in some cases with social care 24 hours seven days a week so it's really important that we can offer them practical strategies that they can implement interventions and I think in that they can have a greater impact and really that's the focus is trying to empower teachers empower parents empower um, social care teams so that they can offer the best care possible for young people
1: and Podrick, do you get referrals in from principals schools they contact you directly and ask your
2: support yeah. yeah so schools would directly contact me and uh when it comes to social work or social care department sometimes it's the social work department that is contacting me Tuesday directly but it, it would be it would be schools directly um yeah they would contact me
0: Because your background is in social care, you worked (laughs) in social care and then kind of came to OT a little bit later in your career.
2: That's correct. Why?
0: Why did you decide to go that direction? Why didn't you just stick with social care?
2: Mm, Like I I love social care. I spent eight years working within residential units um, with teenagers who would have been seen as challenging behavior, but just difficulty in communicating their needs or we were struggling and hearing their needs properly and i would have worked with a family assessment unit as well for some time looking at parents capacity to parent um i loved it i loved it learned so much really understood the importance of building a therapeutic relationship and how that was one of the strongest tools that we have as well as clinicians but particularly in that field there was just areas that i felt could be improved and that we were missing a lot and sometimes I felt like we were putting a band-aid over a huge problem Um, often we were lacking goals or we were creating goals that were that we felt were important for the the person that we were working with so rather than asking them what they needed we were coming in as professionals going they need to do this to improve their life and it wasn't working time and time again we were running into difficulties lack of motivation and I was like something is missing here and um, much of my work through social care I was work uh, studying occupational therapy, so I could really see this and start bringing it to the social care sector I was like, how about we find out what's really meaningful for them and see what see how that works and like trying to spark that intrinsic motivation, we, we were dealing with some of the most resilient motivated young people. But they were resilient and motivated to engage in maladaptive behavior to survive and cope. But they were incredible, and we were missing that. We were focusing on stopping the behavior, but ignoring the the motivation and resilience they had to even engage in that. Mm-hmm. So I think it was just trying to shift that, spark that intrinsic motivation. What's meaningful for you? How do we bring that to life? And when that was in, 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 in when that was was happening, I think we could nearly step back and um and and so so that for me was ot that was ot it was like find what's meaningful for the person help them engage in it and we can then step back because they they're they're super motivated
0: that's amazing because it can be a little bit of a get out of jail free card to say it's the client's fault it's it's the person i'm working with they're not motivated to engage or they're you know and surely we're doing the wrong thing then right
2: Absolutely. I just think we weren't listening. were not listening we like, and we were, while we were looking at behavior, like there's a problem with this behavior. How do we stop the behavior? We weren't asking why are they engaging in this behavior? And if you're, if you're working with young people who have experienced complex trauma, maladaptive behavior is a coping strategy. It has helped them survive, whether that be drug, alcohol abuse, what is self harming that is. That's kept them alive. So understanding that that behavior is really important for them and just removing that and replacing it with nothing is not going to work. So it's like how do we then get them on board with seeing that there's other solutions, there's other strategies, there's other techniques. And I think we just we were missing those things. And that's not to give out about social care. It's it's, it's an amazing and amazing sector and we're very grateful for it. I just felt when I was in it I was like, oh, we're lacking in something. We were we were always holding a space and I felt sometimes we weren't getting anywhere. And OT is very goal oriented very focused. Where are we going? What's the next step? What's the outcome? We were missing that language even to exist in a, our organisations.
1: How do you find something that can compete with those maladaptive behaviours? And what sort of approaches do you use, Podrick, mm-hmm. um, in, you know, to guide your practice?
2: I, I suppose psychoeducational pieces around maladaptive behaviour, what ex, ex, talking to them about why they do it. And for me, then, understanding what it feels like for them to engage in that what's what what release are they getting what. And then when I start developing an understanding around that, then I can start talking about interventions that could could replace that. So if it is something that they're seeking a high, how do we replace that high that that lift? Um, And what do we need to do to replace it in a positive way by them engaging in meaningful occupations that will get them that same level of regulation? Um, so I think it is it's asking the right questions how does that feel for you what are you gaining from it and then how is it serving you as well how is it serving you in your life does that feel good you think that you're going to be able to achieve everything you want to do while doing this and I think it's just understanding uh being compassionate and really just sitting with them and 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 for once not trying to get them to stop it but just to say is there another way where we can replace it with something else and understanding why you do it because I think there's a huge level of shame that they carry and for me I I find if we can openly speak about it shame disappears and if if it it eradicates that so there's there's an immediate shift then in their mindset of wanting to change once they start speaking about it.
0: it. It breaks down that defensiveness that can come when people are told so many times that what they're doing is wrong or they're not good enough.
2: Yeah Absolutely. And, and they inherently feel that. And and I agree when you're t- telling them that's wrong, that's bad, stop doing that. It just instills that sense that you're not good. You're not good enough. You're not able to do the right thing. So it's shifting that, helping them understand why they do that. And can we come up with other strategies?
0: And you said you spend a lot of your time outside of the clinic. So doing with people, what does that look like? How, you know, what what kind of environments are you working in?
2: So my day looks very varied. I could be in the gym. I could be on a stand-up paddleboard. I could be on a climbing wall. I could be feeding horses. I could be sitting in somebody's house playing chess. um, I could be just going for a walk in the woods. It really varies. So I will sit down with a young person. We'll talk about activities that they might find meaningful to them. And then that's what we do. So that's why it varies so much. I'll sit down with an activity checklist or a leisure checklist and we'll go through it. And then we go out and we start doing. And I think it takes away the pressure. A lot of young people that I'm working with have a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression, and it takes away the pressure of, I'm in a clinic. Here's a man in a white shirt, bright lit room, and now I have to talk to him. Like for me as an adult who is engages in talk all the time, I find that very difficult to walk into a room and speak to a stranger about what's going on for me. And for me, it's when they start living and start experiencing occupations, um, they, they And I want them to see what resources are available to them. Sometimes they feel like they can't do it. So uh, like from the lens of an OT, we can really break that down, really grade that, really look at the occupation, look at the person, look at the environment, how we can adapt as we need to. Uh, and then it comes to life for them. And then they see it and they achieve and they're accomplishing and then confidence builds. And they wanna lean into that even more. And then we can nearly step back.
0: And it's so important to have things that people can access themselves independently afterwards and costs might play, play a little bit of a role in that you know i think sometimes people feel occupations um going to the gym isn't um affordable but are you finding ways around that
2: a lot of the activities i do are free like i my my boot in the back of my car has hurleys slitters frisbees skipping ropes, um, my running shoes, like it has everything. We go feed horses uh, with a lot of young people. There is a, a little walk that I go on. They can grab a cup of coffee. The horses are there. They're only delighted with apples. and It costs a bag of apples is all it costs, you know? So, uh, and I, I fully agree. It's, it's about empowering people to say, this is what's available. These are the resources that are available and they're not expensive. Um, I think sometimes with OTs and when we have a clinic it it feels like the magic can only happen in that room and then parents feel really disempowered by I don't even know what went on in there but I just really want them to have sessions there and then they come out I'm like oh no it's like this is you can do this seven days a week you can do it whenever you want you can do when it feels good for you Um, and I, I so that's why I think it's really important when To meet them as best I can near their locality and then I will do a little bit of research of what is around them and looking at the research around outdoor spaces how important that is forest bathing and so I think the approach is always multifaceted like it's it's getting them outdoors it's getting them engaging meaningful occupations it's putting them in a space that's naturally going to make them feel better so I think OT interventions are really complex. Sometimes I think people think I'm just out having a crack with people. I'm like, no, this is really well thought out. I'm doing a job. (laughs) Yeah, I swear. Yeah, they're like, oh, you were on a climbing wall and you went to the gym today. Like, (laughs) that sounds horrendous. I was like, no, no, there was a reason why. So...
0: I think we, uh, with OT, people don't always recognize that underneath analysis and Mm -hmm. the choices that happen. And actually, there's a lot of evidence behind what we're doing. And I think as OTs, it becomes so second nature that we just don't even think about it. But it looks, what it looks like on the surface, there's a lot more going on underneath.
2: Absolutely. And I think even looking at a clinic setting as well, if you're looking at a pediatrics, there's swings, there's balls. It's like, oh, look, everyone's just having the laws in here. Like, it's like, no, this is this the science behind this. It is. It's so, yeah, I think I think and uh, like we're evidence based practitioners. I think evidence is really, really important for us to justify our role and for for us to justify the work we do and for the clients so that they get the most out of it. So I think we're surround ourselves with evidence. Um, and I I need to do that as a clinician to say to justify myself as uh, and to know that i'm doing right by the people i'm working with
1: your days are so varied padrick because again someone one person's intrinsic motivation is completely different to another Absolutely. could you share maybe an activity that you've done or an intervention that you've done in the last few weeks that you've really enjoyed yourself that
2: mm-hmm. oh i, I kind of love them all um so, some of them i have to many of the lines that I would advocate would be leaning into the uncomfortable you know it's really important for that circular growth and what what that looks like so sometimes I have to do things that I don't particularly uh, like um, gets me nervous but I think that's that that gets me excited then as well um and
1: not just those highs that you're talking about earlier that are uh, so difficult to tap into
2: absolutely I really enjoy the wall climbing and I, I really enjoy like observing the young person engage in the activity as well and watching the, the excitement or the turning points for them and the high that they come out with and, and and to see that that's a resource that's really openly available to them. But I enjoy it myself. I think it's because it pushes me into a space that I'm not very comfortable with, not a fan of heights. So it's just, I have, you know, I've got to lean into it.
0: When it comes to um, trauma and particularly com- complex trauma, mm-hmm not everybody thinks about occupational therapy as being the go-to people maybe think about psychology and talking and understanding Mm -hmm. but actually um from your perspective OTs are really well placed to to deal with and to support people with complex trauma
2: like I know I'm biased but I actually think we're the best (laughs) I, I know it's it's like of course I'm going to say that but like for us we really we really go in and assess the environment. We assess the occupation. We're looking at the person. We're looking at everything. We're looking at how then we can create that sense of safety so that they can feel that they can build that relationship. They can connect. And then we're looking at meaningful occupations to help them have a meaningful life like I, I, like other clinicians are amazing. And I and like psychology is really important. But we are we are really well fitted in that area because we see everything. we're detectives, we go in and we try to break it all down. And I don't think anyone any other profession has that skill set. Uh, and I think when it comes to recovery from trauma, I think the action of doing is really, really important. And for many young people, talk therapy is a, an essential life tool that has saved them. But for some, they find that process very difficult to engage in, and they would often say unnecessary, or it didn't work, or it re-traumatized me. I don't feel the need to. So it's about the action of the doing and becoming and achieving and, and start building evidence to show them you are amazing. This is what you can do. And, and that's what they believe. It's more so than the um, us saying to them, you're doing great. You're amazing. When they're looking at themselves and they're like, I haven't washed in. Six months and I haven't left my house in a year, and you're telling me I'm great. Like, I'm like, you're not doing great at the moment. So let's try and get things going that you can look back and say. And even the the moments that they engage in something, you see them putting out their phone and taking a picture to say, like, I can actually have a story to tell my friends that I went somewhere. I fed a horse today, or I climbed a wall today. These are huge things just to say I am a person again. I'm a young person. And so I think it's really important. So I think OTs are are the exact person to go in and talk with to, to
0: make it easy. and and even the idea of talk therapy doesn't work for me I would maybe argue that talk therapy is part of occupational therapy it's yeah. just that the doing opens up the mm-hmm. space to allow somebody to talk in a, a less intense way
2: agreed fully agreed uh, yeah and it gives them that space where they the, the eye contact isn't there and that they're engaging in a meaningful occupation and that it's okay if it takes five six seven eight sessions for you to feel comfortable and I would often say to young people coming through the door, you don't know me. I don't expect your trust. This was going to take time and that's OK, you know, because there's an expectation sometimes when they walk into a room that immediately they're supposed to trust the person and then start talking. That's that takes time.
1: Patrick, for other occupational therapies working within this field, um, is there any particular CPD that you've completed that you find really beneficial? Yeah. Um, getting back to approaches, anything at all that you would really recommend signpost other occupational therapists to?
2: Um, so I've done some training with Adrian bronock I found her amazing, and Kim Bartel would like both of them are fantastic, and they're a huge influence in the work. I've done lots of other reading outside Dr. Bruce Perry, looking at um Bessa Vandercock, um G- Gabra Mate, and I think like they have also really shaped the work that I do and the practice that I do, and I think like the neurosequential model is a really important model by dr bruce perry and it really links in very well with occupational therapy about focusing on the sensory motor first you know and Adrian bronick would 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 reference this as well how like to focus on the inner part of the brain the the first part the brain stem before we then go into the outer side where we can start talking about relationships and building that and then before we go to the prefrontal cortex where we can actually start problem solving looking so without a young person being regulated and focusing on that whether that's the sensory systems are creating a sense of safety. we you were wasting our time on the other layers so it's starting from the inner and working our way out. I think they're they're really important models that have really shaped my practice.
1: And even some of the activities and and things you access in the community they really access they, they really target that that sensory process and element. I'm actually just back from Aileen Bronock's Ash Cottage.
2: Oh, excellent.
1: Yeah, just last week, it is um, a magical place. Have you ever been to it? Or did it, you- it
2: was it was mid COVID that I'd done the training. So unfortunately it was online and I think um, she would have said like she would much rather everyone be up to the clinic, but now I'm delighted the clinic's open. So I will be definitely getting up there again and doing some training.
1: Really special place.
2: Amazing, amazing.
0: You mentioned um, positive psychology and that you're doing a little bit of training for, for schools or teachers mm-hmm. or health professionals in positive psychology. Would you mind just explaining um, what positive psychology is and then how you bring that into your work?
2: Yeah. So positive psychology is it, it focuses on the strengths of people. It, spoke, it focuses on their values. I think it's really important. But uh, much of the models that I would use, I think, really encompass occupational therapy. I use the PERMA-V model a lot and I think it's it's one that for me it served a lot of clients uh, really really well it looks at like positive emotions it looks at engagement relationships meaning in their life achievements or accomplishments and then vitality so it really encompasses everything Um, so I think positive psychology for me it's always asking what's right with you what is working in your life rather than what's wrong with you rather than honing in on the challenges let's let's bring forward that so I think it, it, it really functions really well, and I think the PERMA-V model, uh, which I, I I use a lot, I think is really important, and particularly the, the last section, which is vitality, and without that existing, we nothing can, so if we're not eating right, if we're not moving our body, if we're not getting enough sleep, that having positive emotions is extremely difficult, engagement in positive relationships, um, having any meaning in our life is, is is extremely hard or achieve achieving or accomplishing I think that's something that's really important in positive psychology that you're achieving and accomplishing in life and if you're missing that component how do we bring that in it's
0: the confidence isn't it there's a, um, a lovely saying in, in brief solution focus that there's nothing wrong with you that what's what, what's right with you can't fix and I think mm-hmm. that's a real tenet of positive psychology that you do have the tools we just need to help you maybe unearth those tools in yourself
2: absolutely absolutely
0: in terms of um you know people that you've worked with and kind of memorable cases we probably all have that one or two people that that you you remember and and that were you know you you kind of think yeah that worked that was it that was me as an OT doing a really good job (laughs) although it can be hard to acknowledge that sometimes Mm. because the client always has a role to play in that of course Mm. but what would be your your case that you kind of go yeah that that was me that that encapsulates me as an OT
2: Um, there's one particular and I'm nearly emotional thinking about them and their journey it was just such a powerful one for them so they really struggled um, to leave home they hadn't left home in a few years they hadn't been in in any education they were a young person that really felt unsafe in their own skin in their own environment had experienced trauma and it was really coming in as an OT going, other clinicians had attempted to reach out, had a lot of difficulty. Um, so it was like, how, how do we offer a service to go at home? I might've been met with what might see, be seen as aggression, but understanding that from social care, understanding that that it's it's a sign that a young person is, is scared. Like what is like anger, but what's behind anger is fear. So with that young person i was like okay how do we assess the environment how do we create a sense of safety what's meaningful for them how do we ensure that they're doing that with their immediate environment and they just identified something simple that my door is not working it's not locking it's like okay so let's here's a goal that's meaningful for you let's get a lock on the door let's get a sense of safety when a sense of safety was achieved then they could start building a relationship and that took time that took a lot of me coming to the door with a hot chocolate being told to politely get get away <laughs> okay <word>. next week <laughs> And then back again back again back again and that repetitive relationship and then they felt safe enough then once that was built that they could come into the car and go do some shopping pizza was the next step to to to, to sell and they're like okay I'll, I'll go for a pizza started with pizza then started engaging in really meaningful occupations and it was the first like we went off and done kayaking and done other activities now that young person is back in full time education and is engaging in groups and a sentence they said to me coming back one day and I was like oh I'm, I'm done now I can retire I'm like that's just like wow like and they're like I, I, I feel like I'm living again and I, I didn't think this would ever happen and it was simple we just went to the beach we were kayaking they had a bit of fun they fell into the water but they were picking up sand and throwing it at me and they said it was the first time in years that they just were playful like a child you know and i was like and, and just to say that i'm living again i was like wow yeah. that was,
0: that's amazing
2: yeah so it was really it was a beautiful moment for me and and if, if my career ended there i'd be like i don't care i'm like yeah i'm done put a fork in me <laughs> i'm done i'm out of here but i loved it i was so i was like and so that in the days where things are really really <laughs> tough there's stories like that and they're not they 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 come often enough there's often people that just say I feel like I'm living and this is like yeah I I think young people have a, a huge weight on their shoulders and they're carrying so much worry and it's like they've turned into these 60 year old 70 year old people and their posture their body everything shifts and they've just got the weight of the world on their shoulders and they just need to laugh and they just need to feel that they're having fun and when they're interacting with maybe their family who they don't have positive relationships with anymore they believe that this is who they are their interactions are so limited and when they are when they do engage it's quite negative it's quite maybe aggressive so they believe this is who they are so the shift has to come with them having positive interactions with somebody else and then they believe that maybe this is who I am or who I could become and that's where the shift happens
1: and Podrick, one of your own um passions in life is traveling that's one of your leisure Um, pursuits. Can you tell us about how your um experiences in travel has influenced your practice?
2: Yeah. Um. So yeah, I I I have a little girl now, so my travelling days have slowed down. But back it back back in the day, I I, yeah, I spent maybe five years outside of Ireland, been to over fifty different countries, travelled through like Uganda, Kenya, Tanzania, up as far as went to Asia to Iran, Pakistan, and Vietnam, Cambodia, many countries, and. How I find that influenced my work is I feel like we can get lost in the nonsense of busyness and over-consuming everything, and we miss the human connection. And in in poor countries where they would have appeared to have nothing, they had really strong bonds, really strong connections, and an awful lot of happiness. And I just felt, for me, seeing the importance of human connection and the simplicity of it and how that will pull us over an awful lot of hardship so when that is there and the community is there there's a tight-knit community they can they're very very resilient because they don't have food they don't have like there's an awful lot of resources that they don't have but they have each other and it is beautiful to watch their singing and they're dancing and the ceremonies on a nightly basis when they have just whatever they've got together for one meal that's enough and, So for me learning that it was really understanding the importance of human connection and how powerful that was over everything else that we feel fills our needs it's nonsense really it's just about people it's about connection and back to basics back to basics back to basics absolutely
0: Yeah. or can i ask you're the ot coach Mm -hmm. um so coaching is is something that's becoming very popular as a concept Mm -hmm. How do you use coaching in your work? Do you see it as the same as your OT intervention or is it separate or explain it a little bit more?
2: Yeah. So I think coaching is very different for me. It's a very different toolkit and I think it's a really important one. So like a, as a lens of an OT we're sitting and we're listening and we try to understand what's going on and then we come in with an answer we're like oh great perfect I found the problem here's the solution and we want to come in because we want to feel this is our role and and often clients are coming to us for an answer. So coaching just helps me shut up and listen properly. Mm-hmm. The next day, no. Like, keep going, keep asking, keep asking. So it takes me out of the equation. It takes the takes the OT lens comes off, the hat comes off and I sit and I ask and then we ask and and you can really watch somebody unpack their own journey and what they need to do when we're very clear on that and that might take some time then we can start shaping interventions. But when we rush in too soon, we think we see the problem and we want to be the person to offer the solution because that makes us feel good. We're like, great, our job is done. I'm an OT, this is what I do. So sometimes I just need to just take a step back. And so I think coaching is really important. And I work with a lot of young men as well. And I think for them, they really seek the coaching component. They really seek the trying to develop an understanding of who they are and that's done. through coaching, a lot, a lot of coaching with that. So, so the the MA that I did was in positive psychology and coaching, and that's where I, um, yeah, got that background. I
1: think that's I very that. pertinent for occupational yeah. therapists. We are problem solvers.
2: We're
1: very keen to get in there and try and make everything okay.
2: Yeah, um, for sure. But- yeah, no, it is. I think that's it's that it's our go-to, and if, and it feels good. We found our role, and we know that okay, great. We've we've we've, we've we take the box. This is what. person needs and we have an answer and and that's why i think coaching alone for me isn't enough with with young people because we have an abundance of knowledge we're constantly up up upskilling and we've loads of research so we have the information so while while they're uh, seeking to understand what's going on for them it's it, it it wouldn't make sense for me not to say right thank you for all of this Here's a little bit of resources that might you might find beneficial. So that's where the mentoring and the occupational therapy comes in then as well. So I think it's important, but it, it's it's I think it's a it's a great toolkit. I think it's a really important one to use.
0: I think toolkit is the, the right word there, because, you know, listening to you, you've, you've kind of studied in lots of different areas and there's different modalities, but they're all very complementary. Mm. And really, the key is the young person in front of you and what they need at that moment in time and how you then pull on different things to, to support them to move forward, mm. which takes a lot. You, you, you're you very experienced um, as an OT to be able to, to kind of dip in and out, depending on the needs.
2: Mm. and 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 I think you're absolutely right. It really depends on, on the person in front of you. So the one approach, and even when it comes to sensory um, SAI and Aideen Bronock, it's a fantastic approach, but you're dismissing your all of your knowledge and all of your learning. If we go in with one model or we go in like, this is the right way and we ignore everything else because we are so vast and there's so many models and frames of references. So it's really important to be open-minded. And so I don't like being rigid with one and saying this mm-hmm. is the only because some of those might be a few weeks of training or i learned this model into t- like a weekend i'm like but what about the other 10 years mm-hmm. like so i think it's really important to just see what the person needs and be leaning into different models and different frames of reference and and not dismiss the vast knowledge that we have mm-hmm. in occupations bringing
1: and our active tools isn't it and um Absolutely. that's very complementary to your your um ot coach
2: Mm -hmm.
1: what what does the future hold for you podrick
0: what what, what's in the in the future of the ot coach
2: um so i love what i do i love the one-to-one work um i'm not in 10 years down the line or even five years down the line i'd like to get into a bit more adult training i really enjoy that there's a great buzz with that and i think for me to have a greater impact positive impact that's how I will do that it will be in the training component because you can work along organizations supporting them as they support young people so that empowerment piece is really important um because individually for us as clinicians we only have a certain capacity of how many hours in our week that we can have that connection with young people so I would love to get into a bit more adult training side I think is, is is where the business will go but for now I, I don't want to let go of that the, that 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 fund based client work either you know but I think in time there's a certain amount that's in your capacity when a lot of the cases are quite heavy self-harm mm-hmm. disclosures suicidal ideation they take their toll so I think to to do it justice and to be to be fair for the people I work with I think you have to be mindful that there's a time frame on certain paths that we take.
1: And that direct con- contact with the children and young people is so important Absolutely. to bring authenticity to your to your trainings that you can say, yes, I've worked with a, uh, a teenager recently with this difficulty. This is what we did.
2: Absolutely. And I think they make the best educators when I'm sitting listening to somebody who has had that on the floor experience and they're telling me about it, like that story when it comes to life. I'm like, oh, because I've had some educators and they may have lacked that experience. So it's very theory based. It's very like, this is what the research is saying, but I'm like, well, what are the people saying today? You know, like what, what happened? Like, and a story brings it to life and then it helps me understand it more so.
0: Amazing. Horrid, mm-hmm. thank you so much for sharing your experience and your wisdom with us. Um, You're fantastic advocate for OT and, and the the kind of multi-dimensional role that, that, that we play. Really appreciate your time today
2: thanks both of you guys thanks so much for inviting me on and I, and I love hearing ot being spoken about because it's like it's the question that everybody asks so what is it so i love that it's like let's talk more about it like let's bring it out let's let's and 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 because I, I don't know i I'm, i love the magic of it it works and i'm like let's yeah so i'm i'm a huge advocate for it for sure
1: thank you Podrick.
2: adine thanks so much jen thanks so much
1: That's all for today's episode on the Irish Occupational Therapy podcast. We hope you enjoyed our discussion and found it informative and engaging. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. You can email us at irishotpodcast at gmail.com or connect on Instagram or Facebook.
0: And remember to subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss an episode. If you found this episode helpful, please leave us a review on your preferred podcast platform. Um, Your feedback is important and helps us to improve the show, so please do leave it. Thank you for listening to the Irish Occupational Therapy Podcast, hosted by myself, Jen Trecek.
1: And myself, Aileen Rutledge.
0: We look forward to sharing more insights and knowledge with you in future episodes. Until then, take care.